Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to uh, Galatians chapter 6. We're kind of going to be talking about a particular verse, but in its larger context, a familiar verse that everybody in here probably knows, bear ye not one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ from Galatians 6 and verse 2. Um, Tim Lane and um, Paul Tripp have written a book recently, and they've entitled it Relationships, It's Worth the Mess. It's really a good title because it brings out two things. On the one hand, um, we have to be realistic. Relationships get pretty sloppy sometimes, don't they? I mean, think of your family. Think of the church. I mean, don't you sometimes find yourself getting irritated with people? Maybe angry. Wondering, aren't they supposed to be Christians? And we have all kinds of thoughts. And look, look, knowing we, we, we're broken people living in a broken world with other broken Christians, right? I mean, that's, that's who we are. And so we, we have to be realistic by the fact that life in the church is often messy and sloppy and difficult. See, what we love about God is he's perfect. The problem is none of us are. But we can be optimistic because the God who has redeemed us and saved us through Jesus Christ has given us of his spirit so that we might live as a unique community of faith. Now, I know that sometimes seems elusive because it's kind of like out there. But it is something that God wants for us, doesn't he? Paul, Paul is a realist. When you come to Galatians chapter 5, I mean, you know, Paul just sets it out. He says, look, 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 look. You are people of the Spirit, and you need to walk in the Spirit, because if you shift into neutral, you know what you'll do? You'll live in the flesh. And so Paul recognizes virtually every book that Paul writes are to churches that are, have all kinds of problems. And so Paul is willing to write them and say, look, relationships, it's worth the mess. Paul's a realist. But he's an optimist because he knows as God's people walk by the Spirit. This can become a unique community of faith that's like nothing the world can copy. Isn't that the truth? I mean, isn't that what we kind of believe in our hearts? And what happens when he comes to the end of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 26? He's talked more broadly about walk in the Spirit, stay away from the flesh, and talk about the works of the flesh, does all that. In verse 26 and following, he gets very, very specific. He says, now look, I want to make an application to you. What does it mean for us to walk in the Spirit in a relationship with one another? I mean, that, that's, that's really where he's going. And he first of all tells us what not to do and then spends the bulk of his time telling us what we should do. Um, he starts out by telling us what we shouldn't do. Look at verse 26. I mean, what happens when Doug Finkbeiner shifts into neutral and just does what comes naturally? My tendency is to do something like verse 26. Notice what it says. Let us not become boastful, or perhaps a better word there be, conceited. 
just literally means empty glory. Let us not become conceited, challenging one another, envying one another. Paul knows how it works. You know how it works. What happens if in my relationship with you, it's ultimately about me? If I shift into neutral, when I come to the service, I want to get rather than give. I mean, that, 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 and, and there's a level which you do come here to hear a word from God. and So that's all fine, understandable. But in our relationships, what happens sometimes is we can move into a position where it's all about me, and so therefore all the attention is on me. And my tendency then is, Carmelo annoys me a little bit. No, not really, I'm making this up. So we get kind of edgy in our relationship. And I don't mind agitating him a little bit because he agitates me a little bit. Paul says, but Doug, what you're doing is it's all starting from you. And therefore you're provoking and agitating. Or maybe I'm sitting there and I'm saying, why does he get to lead them up there? I play the guitar too. I don't. <laughs> I don't. It would, be a, it would be a skit hour if I was up there. Fair enough. But, but what, if, what if I'm doing that? And I could sit back there singing praise and in my heart saying, why aren't I up there? You, do, do you see? I mean, what is it? Poor guy, he didn't do anything. The problem is me, isn't it? And Paul says, look, if you shift into neutral, your tendency will be to move into your relationships Always saying, why aren't you giving more to me? And, to, and look, that's natural and there's elements of that. I understand. But when that becomes the controlling, when that becomes the center of gravity in my life, what happens is if you don't treat me the way I need to be treated, I have all kinds of problems. And, and Paul says at the end of the day, don't do that. that, that that's, that's living after the flesh, self. No, he says... Let me give you a different strategy. And, and it's, it's the strategy of love that seeks to meet the needs of others. And that's what he talks about in chapter 6, verses 1 to 10, which is what I want to explore with you. It made me think a little bit of a story I heard Swindoll give years ago, but I've never really forgotten it. He tells about a young boy whose name was Chad, 8 to 10 years of age, young, young chap. And his, his family had moved from one particular area of the country to another. So they didn't know anybody. The little boy didn't know anybody in the school. He's a very bashful, kind of quiet child. And his mom was really, really kind of frustrated because she'd watch each day after school as the bus pulled up. And um, all the kids would get all out of the bus and they'd have their arms around each other laughing and just, you know, really having a good old time together. And there would be her son all by himself walking behind the crowd. I mean, you know what that's like as a parent when you see that happen with your children. I mean, it hurts you so deeply. And she watched this happen day after day after day because he was a quiet lad and nobody was really reaching out to him. A couple weeks before Valentine's Day, he said, Mom, I want to make Valentine's cards for all the kids in my class. And her heart, frankly, sunk because she thought, man, you know, he may get a couple and give all these 30, 40 Valentine's cards and get maybe one or two back. But she didn't want to dampen his enthusiasm. So she said, okay, so for three weeks, man, he worked painstakingly, man, got out those cards. He, drew, he made them all himself. 
All 30 or 40 of them, however many there were. And he rushed out the door that day, hopped on the bus and took off. His mom thought, well, I'll make some cookies. So when he comes home, at least we'll soften the blow a little bit. Sure enough, bus pulled up. Kids got out. Everybody's got Valentine's cards and laughing and yucking it up. And behind them by himself is her son. She heard him come in the house. And as he whisked by, she heard him say, not a one. And her, and her heart sunk. She said, you, mean, you mean my son didn't get like one card from these selfish kids? Then he turned around and she heard the full import of what he said. He said, they all know I love them. I didn't miss a one, not a one. You think about that little boy. He's got it, doesn't he? He recognizes at the end of the day, it's not about getting, it's about giving. And that's what Paul's going to go on to say here in this text. And he's going to talk about three ways in which we can do that. I thought this might mnemonically help you, so here it is for what it's worth. Paul here in this passage is going to talk about repair, bear, and share. Okay, there you go. If you remember those three, repair, bear, and share, you've got it. But we won't go home yet because I'm going to explain them. All right. First of all, he talks about repairing. I want you to notice what he says here in verses, verse 1. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, and folks, that doesn't mean you who are perfect, because if you wait that long, you'll never minister to anybody. All it means coming out of chapter 5 is you are people imperfectly, but nonetheless seeking to walk by the Spirit. Look what he says. Brethren, even if a man is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore or repair such a one. In a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you also be tempted. Such a fascinating verse, folks. My wife and I were talking about it coming up. The problem in verse 1 is temptation and sin. It's not exactly the problem in verse 2. It is in verse 1. Haven't you found that sometimes in your life? There's certain kinds of sins that almost seem to ambush you. Now, you're still responsible. Before God and you need to repent. All oh, that's true. But, but Paul's bringing out this fact that, that sin so often overwhelms us and we can't find our way out. And one of the responsibilities we have to one another is to watch out for those times when our brothers and sisters in Christ just are overwhelmed. They can't find their way out. And to move into their life with gentleness and kindness. Not with harshness and severity. But with gentleness and kindness. And, and see how we might restore. How we might take. I mean look you've all had that experience. I remember when my child broke his arm. And we had to get him into the car to get to the hospital. I mean I didn't say like, like come on man. Did I? I mean that arm is broken. And as carefully as you can you get. We try to immobilize it and 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 and. Put him in because you're trying to restore, and you know it's all so as gently as you can, you try to help them. That's what Paul says in this passage. When a guy says he wants to meet with me and he comes by and he says, I am overwhelmed with pornography. 
I can't find my way out. Does he need me to point my bony finger at him? Tell you, wicked, vile, pervert. Like, get over it. Is that what he needs? Now, does he need me to excuse his sin? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Does he need someone to pull beside him and help to repair by the power of the Spirit a soul that is so captivated they can't find their way out? Yes. You know what the tendency is when I do that? My tendency, if I'm not careful, is to think to myself, boy, I'm glad I'm not where he's at. Isn't it? Do you notice what the text goes on to say? Look, this is very, very important. Each one of you looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Humility is part of ministry, folks, through and through. If I pull up next to somebody, maybe their sin is not my sin, but my goodness, I've got my list too. And this text calls us to move into people's lives and to gently and carefully help them, not stay where they're at, not say it's okay. It's not okay. Broken bones need to be healed. But to pull beside them in such a way and never in a condescending, demeaning way look at that person and say, like, what is up with you? You know what's up? They were overwhelmed. And they need people to pull beside them and say, can I help? God's going to have to do the work, but if he'll use me in any way, I'm here to help you. Wow. That's what we're supposed to be about. Humbly moving into the world of other people who are overwhelmed with sin and saying, how can I help? How can I pray? What can I say? What can I do? I'm here. That's what God wants for this church. God wants us to be a community of faith that when people are overwhelmed in sin, we don't run from them, we run to them. And we do everything we can to help. Now at the end of the day, they must repent and they must deal with it. That's true. But there's never a place for me to be condescending, demeaning, because I have to recognize when I step into that setting, I too am a sinner who if I won't fall to that sin, I can fall to another. And I've got to be very, very careful. That's true, isn't it? People's problems, though, sometimes they're not temptations to sin. Sometimes they're, it's just living in a heavy, broken world. It's trials, not temptations. It's sickness. It's financial woe. It's, it's circumstances that seem to be out of my control. What then? Well, look at what he says secondly. Not only, not only should we move into each other's lives to repair, but secondly, here in verses 2, running down to verse 5, he says it's about bearing. Specifically, carrying one another's burden, again, with humility. Look what he says in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and in this manner, Fulfill the law of Christ. You know what's so interesting about the book of Galatians? Paul is so adamant to say, look, you're not under the law of Moses anymore. Does that mean we are lawless? No, no. 
Paul says you're under another law. It's the law of Christ. It's earlier in chapter 5. It's really the law of love. Which he exemplified in all of its perfection. And he calls us. You know, Paul says, rather than me giving you just a long list, I could do that, but you know what? Let me give you a very simple law. Love like Jesus. There you go. Well, that kind of, that like handles a whole lot of things, doesn't it? And part of what that means then is you pull up beside brothers and sisters of Christ who as they're going through life, the weight is so heavy that they feel like they can no longer bear it. And, and he says, look, I want you to get underneath that load and I want you to help bear that load with them. Well, does that mean I help them out financially? It may. Th does it mean I just give them time and, and let them talk and cry on my shoulder? It may. Will it cost me? Always. It will always cost you something. But it will be the best investment in your life. And so he says, I want you to get underneath the load with other people who just feel like life is just weighting them down. And what you do is you try to lighten the load and bear some of that load with them as much as that's possible. And there's a sense in which you can only do it to a point. All understood. But Paul says, that's what life's about. People overwhelmed by sin move into their life and say, how can I repair? People who are just weighted down with life, ask yourself, what does, would Jesus do in a situation like this? Then go do it. And help them to bear that weight. You know what I find to be interesting in this passage? It's often kind of set me back. And sometimes it does. Other, you know, when I read some, some commentators on this, people will often say, why is verses 3 to 5 there? You could take verse 3 and 5 and take it right out of the passage and it would be really nice just to go to verse 6 and say, and let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. But beautiful, right? Repair, bear, and share. There it is. But Paul gives us verses 3 to 5. And I've often wondered why. And I'll tell you what I think is going on here. Because it's so, it's so fascinating to me. Because it's subtle. I was thinking Sherry and I were talking coming up in the car. Um. There's an individual who we're very familiar with who, through a series of circumstances and events, her life is just in a tailspin. She had been in a terrible car accident and all kinds of ramifications there. Husband has cancer and just, just one thing after another. And her whole, her whole life is just like this, you know. And she's on medication, which creates additional issues. And just, it's just... You know, it's, it's, it's just overwhelming. And I hate to admit it, but I'll tell you. There's times when I think to myself, she's such a train. I mean, I feel like when I'm with her, I'm around a sponge. You know, it's just kind of a thing. And it's easy sometimes in that situation, honestly, it's easy sometimes in that situation for me to look at her and kind of think like, you know, all right, we got to do these things, got to help her in all these ways, but you almost get the sense, you know, but I'm kind of better than her. You know, I'm not doing all this stuff. She's reacting incorrectly to things in the process. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I all I sometimes find myself, I hate to say it, but thinking, you know, 
I'm better than her. You, you know what I mean? I, I, I just, I'm telling you. It's, I'm not saying it's right, it's wrong. And this section is for me. My guess is it's for you too. Because when you're bearing burdens, sometimes you can say, boy, they really need me. Well, we forget, when I need problems, they, I need them. But we can think that at that moment. So look at what he says here in verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Doug, don't get cocky. You're, God's allowing you to bear this burden for the cause of Christ. Don't you get cocky. Do you see? Look at what he goes on to say. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting or rejoicing in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another, for each one shall bear his own load. You know what he's saying? Look at myself. Doug, you move into that person's life to kind of bear their load, but don't you ever compare yourself to them and think that you're something. Ever. If you want to rejoice in anything, what you need to rejoice in is what God is doing in your life, the God who will examine you for what he's designed for you. And it's not about comparing yourself with them. Do you see the difference? Because at the end of the day, everybody must bear his own load and responsibility before God Almighty. That's how it works. So in both passages, when I move into somebody's life who is sinning, I can't ever go, can I? It's always humility. And when I bear the load of someone whose circumstances are far worse than mine, by the grace of God, I don't understand all that. There's no place for me to compare with them. There's only a place for me to say, I want to love them in the name of Christ. For Christ. Because I will stand before God for what God calls me to do. And remember that, Doug, as you do that. And it will give you perspective. Does that make sense, folks? I don't know if you're like me. But it's so easy for me to do this stuff and then begin to get this, this fleshly attitude. And it's wrong. It's just wrong. Notice what he goes on to say. In verse 6. One of the favorite texts of all preachers. All right, no. But it's true. It is true. Hey, it's in the text, so don't blame me, okay? All right. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Why do you financially support your pastor here? Well, you do a variety of reasons. This is one right here, isn't it? The word becomes so central and so important in the ministry of the church that when a man commits himself to teach and for you to know God more intimately through this book, says, look, free him up to study. Which means share good things with him, which in the context of Paul virtually always means financial. That can mean other things too, but primarily. You free him up so he can feed you this book. So in the body of Christ, it works at every level. People who are struggling with sin were there. People who need burdens born were there. The man who was ministering to us we do what we can. And it just means at every level in the church you love. Every level. No, nobody's outside. And you know what? Everybody in here fits one of these at some point in their life, don't they? 
And you and I are called to move beside one another, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, and love in the name of Christ. Now apparently, for the Galatians, um, some of them were thinking that you could call yourself a Christian and just kind of live any old way you want. And Paul would have none of that. Look at what he says here in verse 6 of 7. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will reap. The one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap life, eternal life. Paul wants to motivate the people. And I don't know how else to say it. I guess I would just say it like this. Paul is saying, be who you are. If you know Christ as your Savior, you've been given the Spirit. And what we know is this very simple principle in life. There are some people who sow to the Spirit because they're believers. And they will reap all the glory that God has for them in the future. But it, it, it's, it's, I don't do this to get that. I do this because of who I am. And that's the reward that God gives me. See the difference? Other people live their life for the flesh because they indicate by that that they've never come to know God. And Paul is saying, be who you are. Don't let people deceive you. People that know Christ, we don't, nobody here walks perfectly with the Spirit. Nobody. But if Christ is in your heart, you want to. And he's about working and reorienting you and redirecting you. And Paul says, look, live out who you are. And let me tell you something else Paul says. This incredible God that you worship is a God that in his grace rewards. Look at what he says in verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good. Isn't it easy to do that sometimes? Do you ever get tired of people? There she is again. And honestly, don't we get tired of each other sometimes? Paul says, look, I don't want you to lose heart in reaching out and doing good to people. It's easy to do. He wouldn't say it if we don't struggle with it. Okay? For in due time, we shall reap if we don't grow weary. Paul says, look, I want to encourage you. Be who you are. You're people of the Spirit. So sow as people of the Spirit. And you know what? Stay at it. Paul says, I know how much people can be a pain in the neck. <laughs> I know that. But you stay with it. And you will find a gracious God in His time will reward in ways that he sees fit, either in this life or the world to come. And I can leave that one with him. That's his job, not mine. So Paul pulls back and says, let me just kind of summarize it all for you. I, I want you to make sure you get everything I'm saying. So let me summarize it for you very simply in verse 10. Okay, what, what is it that I want you to do? Here it is, verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. The law of love is the law of Christ. Which is the law empowered by the Spirit. 
And Paul says, if I could just make it real simple for you. Just do good to all. So, so Paul, when I find people in sin, try to repair. I mean, God's got to ultimately do that work. It's, it's the, but, but pull beside them and see how he might use you. Go ahead. Be involved in the repairing process. And, and when people are overwhelmed with the circumstances of life, pull beside them and bear it with them. For your elders and leaders that minister to you. Share good things with them. Because at the end of the day, the word is everything. So just do good to all. What happens if we live like that? It doesn't mean we don't think about ourselves. Look, we think about ourselves. We can't help but not think about ourselves. Yeah, I show you a picture of your high school graduation class. Where do you look first? I'm looking for myself. Oh, you know, I mean, like, what is it? It's, just, it's I mean, you know, so, you know, you always recognize that. I understand all that stuff. And if you have a need, you need to tell people about it. Yeah, that's what we're all about here. But your center of gravity can't be that. Your center of gravity has to be God. His son, the work of the spirit. I was um, reminded again this week about the death of um, Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators. He died at the age of 50 in 1956. I thought he was older than that, Tim, but he was only 50 years. He was younger than me. When he died, Time Magazine, after it recounted how he actually died, had a very interesting caption. He was, they were up at Scroon Lake. He was, apparently was a pretty good swimmer himself, but he had been apparently out uh, on, on, you know, on the lake, water skiing for an extended period of time. He was wiped out, finally got back into a boat with a young lady who didn't know how to swim. And I guess she didn't have a life preserver on. I don't know, but apparently not. And even then he told her, you sit in the very middle just so you'll be safer because I don't want you falling out. But when the other boat came by, I guess it created waves and their boat toppled and they both went into the water. And somehow he got his way over to that young lady and held her up for a period of time until the boat could come around and get back and he got her up into the boat and then he sunk to his death. That's how he died. And Time Magazine's caption was Dawson Trotman always holding somebody else up. It's how he died. It's how he lived. I'd love that to be on my gravestone. Wouldn't you? Especially if God's the one that puts it there. Will you let the Spirit empower you to live by the law of Christ and to love others? Father,